Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. In this episode, you're going to hear from someone I had on back in January. She is a two-time major champion, former world number three in doubles and former top 60, uh, I'm sorry, 50 singles player, uh, Vanya King. So in the first episode with Vanya, which I'll link to in the show notes for this one, uh, we talked a lot about her career. She talks about the process of improving um, and uses her kick serve as an example uh, we talk about winning two majors. She shares some really good, insightful stories about Wimbledon, uh, and then just general motivation, um, how to inspire motivation in uh, young players. But in this episode, we dive into strategy. Um, so I had a lot of questions on the first episode, but it took too long, so we didn't get to strategy. So now um, we're talking about that. So we kind of pick up where we left off in episode number one. And that is uh, talking about crossing. So Vanya um, believes that a lot of players just don't cross enough, which I'm totally on board with. Uh, So we talk a lot about that. Um, She uh, talks specifically, um, I ask her, if you had three months to work with a player at the 3-5-4 level uh, who was maybe timid at the net or didn't know how to cross, Um, What would you do during those three months? How would you build their confidence and build their uh, skill level at the net so that they became more comfortable crossing uh, and made their volleys a strength? Um, So we talk about practice time. Uh, I ask her to rank herself for the four positions on the court, so server, returner, uh, and then the partner for each of those. And she talks a little bit about the strategy uh, behind each of those. We dive pretty deep into return strategy as well. Um, She actually used a specific uh, tactic on returning down the line that she liked a lot that you can um, steal from her and use for yourself. Uh, And we dive into a lot more. So this is a pretty um, in-depth strategy episode with one of the best uh, doubles players of the last couple of decades. So without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Vanya King. All right, we have Vanya King back on the show. For those of you who did not listen to the first episode, I highly recommend that. But we're going to pick up where we left off last time with strategy. Um, So last time, Vanya, we didn't get to talk a lot about strategy. We uh, did touch on your career a lot, which was a great conversation. But at the end of the uh, conversation last time, you were talking about how only pretty much only the WTA top 50. I think that was the the ranking you settled on. Uh, outside of that, everyone only hits cross court. And you figured <laughs> out once 
once you were coming back to a challenger tournament after you had had some time off that you were just going to poach or, or cross every single time. And that worked out well. So refresh people's memory with that tactic, why it works so well. Um, and then I've got some follow-up questions for you as well. Sure. Um, so obviously not, you know, it's not a, a, a concrete line, but sure. um, there's definitely a threshold, uh, at least in my personal experience, um, you know, playing mm-hmm. juniors and the challengers and then going up to the WTA level um, where it, I had talked a little bit about my, one of my most influential coaches, Ray Ruffles. Mm-hmm. And so he was the one who actually taught me um, pretty much all the strategy that I know in terms of doubles. And for him, it was um, a matter of statistics. So he said, um, you know, you're trying to figure out your opponent's patterns. And then there's other ways. That's another question about, you know, kind of what's the best way to scout your opponent. But Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, most likely the average player plays cross court, right? Because it's high percentage shot. You're trying to get your partner involved. So note that if, let's say, my partner's at the baseline and I'm at the net, um, you know, let's say 75% of the time they go cross court. And my job Mm -hmm. is to try to intercept the ball, right? Because if I'm closer to the net, then I have better leverage on the ball. It's a much more aggressive shot. So it would be actually a safe bet for me, given that my goal is to to get that ball to intercept, it would be safer for me to cross every single time, knowing that my opponent is going cross court 75% of the time. So even if they went down the line, chances are that um, I'm still winning most of those shots. So, and then even if we take like, okay, I might miss, let's say even one out of three volleys, but two out of Mm -hmm. three, I win. I'm still up percentage wise. And then also, um, let's say my opponent, they might hit four balls cross court or sorry, 75% of the balls cross court. But mm-hmm. then because I'm poaching, I'm now intimidating them and they'll probably miss one or two, you know, they might miss 10 to 20% right. balls because I've been putting a lot of pressure on them. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't work if you don't have good volleys, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, gotta improve your volleys to a point where you feel comfortable, um, crossing and that means you know working on reaction also working on core positioning that you're cutting the ball off at an angle so you're mm-hmm. really close to that but um you're in such a strong position that even if you don't hit it perfectly like you've seen players um in big matches and they cross and you know they might just tag it at the very end of the racket but that yeah. net person across from them is running away because or flinching you know yeah. and they the point so um yeah at the end of the day it comes down to statistics and um normally i go into a match thinking that my opponent will be playing high percentage shots you know because that's what we're taught mm-hmm. um especially if we're not playing well and the better you get the more that you're thinking that they're thinking <laughs> that you're gonna you know so yeah. you're trying to combat um in the beginning, you're just combating what um, what they're doing, which is normally mm-hmm. just traditional conservative shots. And then as you go up, then you are trying to um, 
push further than that, you're thinking, you know, two, three steps down the line. And so that's why you might see players going down the line. That's why you see them lobbing, um, changing it up. And, uh, and importantly, under pressure and the personal experience only. Um, so I don't know statistically, but I think it would, the stats would agree with my personal experience is that most players are conservative under pressure. Yeah. So, um, and that's a very normal reaction as we want to protect our lead or, you know, we want to protect our wins. Um, and so right. if you know that you can also combat, not only let's say what your opponent would more likely do, which is to play conservatively, but also to tell yourself, okay, my gut instinct, because I've got a little bit of fear, you know, I'm trying to protect or hold and I really want to win, but then you can also talk through it to yourself and say, okay, you know, actually that's not, that's not the best um, strategy. Yeah. yeah. Because my goal here is to, to intercept. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, was taught that by Ray, um, and there's of course skill and teamwork and personality involved with all of that. But yes, I definitely found, um, you know, anything below the WTA level, it was um, a little odd to me that players still played very, very conservatively and they didn't play. um, They played themselves. They played the way that they wanted to play versus playing, you know, the circumstances and their opponents. Right. And as a team. um, Yeah. I wanted to, so I want to ask about the scouting and then the volleys, but first I want to dive a little more into kind of the psychological aspect of this because it's something I've talked a lot about and I love hearing other people's opinion because they'll tend to phrase it differently or think about it differently than me. But how much of this um, do you feel like is psychological and kind of fear-based? Because I, when I watch people um, play at the club level and even some pro matches at, at Indian Wells um, last week when I was there watching live, it would be like, like one team would cross a lot earlier typically and the other team just kept getting beat on it and wouldn't cross. And um, the team that crossed more would win. So how much of it is like, Oh, but that point two games ago, I missed that volley. I don't want to do that again, you know, versus maybe something else. How do you think about the kind of mental aspect? Um, So I guess you could say that it's, and a commitment is a hundred percent mental, but there's many things that might impact um, someone's decisions. So mm-hmm. if I don't practice doubles, if I don't practice, not even practicing doubles, if I don't practice being aggressive, being in the right position, I'm not encouraged to do that on a consistent basis. Then of course I'm going to be scared to do it because I don't have any confidence in myself doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that element where you just like, you need to have the right guidance. And, um, you know, if you're not going to, it's very difficult for a player to go out and do something that's unknown by themselves Mm -hmm. and feel confident enough to continuously do that. So usually having, you know, a teammate or a coach that encourages that behavior is very Mm -hmm. helpful. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you're looking at long-term, well, you know, I'm speaking about long-term growth. So um, right. I also, I think we touched on this last time. I also recognize like when you're playing at a recreational level, you have to gauge 
how much bandwidth you have to practice too. So, yeah. um, so that aside, but let's say, you know, unfettered growth, um, mm-hmm. you do need to put the work in and like my, one of my other favorite coaches, uh, Tariq Benavilas, he always told me, you know, if you put the work in, the results will come. And mm-hmm. I truly believe like, if you put the right work in, the results will come and you can just trust the amount of work that you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's uh, in some situations as well, like, for example, if you've watched the first round matches versus matches throughout the tournament, there's always um, an el- an increased element of unknown. So it's um, also getting a feel of your game and um, trying to process through it all. So you're trying to get to a state where you're um, rational, you're still in it like you're still passionate about what you're doing and you're intense and you have focus and the adrenaline is there Mm -hmm. but there's it's not like you're you you still have to have some um of the logical side whereas a lot of people when you get overwhelmed by the circumstances then we come become very emotional and Mm -hmm. so um that is a fine line to to try to capture and every time you go on the court it might be different so especially when you for us playing tournaments, like the first rounds are always the most, are always the most mentally difficult because there's a lot of variables that we don't know. You know, we're still not used to the courts. We're still, we're not used to the courts in this pressured situation. We don't have um, confidence of wins behind our belt, you know, at that tournament. So um, as you win more matches, you'll see players become more settled and become be able to become irrational on the court. Um, but the goal is to find that, that level where you're still focused, you still have intensity, um, but you're able to still process things in in a somewhat detached, in a detached manner, because every time that you're playing a shot, that you're doing things, um, you have to be noting, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, it's not, you're not just blindly hitting. There's always a purpose to everything. And then if it worked great and you're Mm -hmm. telling yourself, okay, that worked and why did that work? And if it didn't work, you know, whether it's because you made an error, then you're assessing why did I make that error? Was that intention right? Um, Or if you made a play, you know, if that didn't work, like continuously, especially in doubles, like you're continuously assessing because um, it's much more strategic. You've got four people on the court, you know, you're not just typically overpowering like some times you see in singles so um right yeah there's there's at least that's how i play there's a lot of a lot of thought process involved and i enjoyed that i enjoyed um the adaptation that happened in doubles so sometimes even like if one play worked the whole time okay like i really wanted to win so i was gonna do that it's fun to be challenged you know to you know you're trying this play and then after a couple of shots slash games then your opponent adapts like if the better they are they'll adapt and then you'll have to adapt and it's just this constant like cat and mouse who's yeah. gonna yeah that's what makes it so fun <laughs> um so let's come up with real quick so let's say there's like a three five four oh player who's listening they are not the type of person who typically crosses they usually play conservative and play everything cross court but so does everyone else in their league right and they're listening to this and they're saying, okay, I want to get better at this crossing thing that Vanya is talking about. Um, how can I build my confidence? Like what, what is, give me like a three month roadmap, including, you know, 
what should I do in drills? What should I do in my next match? Um, let's kind of summarize it for them. So um, caveat, I mean, I'm talking about myself and when I played and um, there's definitely a physical slash athletic component to being able sure. like the more athletic you are, the more you can do on court. So I also right. recognize that the average recreational player is not, you know, a professional yeah. athlete. Physically. If you've lost so some agility, yeah, it's it's going to yeah. be a little more difficult. Um, yeah. So if you are, let's say, uh, not as athletic to do certain things, that means you're going to have to weigh taking a bigger mm-hmm. risk. You might have to cross. You might have to move earlier, open up space. Um, you might have to be more strategic with your partner. So if you're doing things that you need to really communicate with your partner that, hey, I'm going to cross, but you need to cross behind me because I'm leaving this really open because I got to go really early. Um, And there's also, I think, at the recreational level, if you go like uh, below 4.0 at least, I've seen a lot of lobs. And so uh, that is, so there's- um, There's a lot to consider, yeah more physical elements involved um to that level than as pros because you know the physical level is pretty much standard and then it's more strategy mm-hmm. um that being said so i'd say yeah combating the lob is really important uh, but knowing patterns of those lobs too like for example if someone lobs so a lot of times you might come forward let's say whether it's a return or off of ground stroke you're hitting cross court you're coming forward transition to the net a lot of times when recreational players move back they they lob um Mm -hmm. they usually lob cross court so or let's say that i'm lobbing off of a return down the line so my opponents now have to cross because that person that the baseline has to cross over to hit to retrieve my lob most likely they're going to lob cross court um so in terms of like a three-month training um <laughs> i would say you probably need to play at least three to four times a week because i think twice is just maintaining okay. um I, i'd spend um half of your time training doing drills so, and then half of that doing live drills and then half of it doing dead drills. And when I say live, that means like you're rallying, you're setting up drills um, with a partner mm-hmm. and you're playing back and forth. So the, the okay. balls. So it's like point different. play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, rallying is also live. So you could be going cross court you know, and that's also live. It's just that you don't know exactly where the ball is going. And then dead is when someone's feeding you, like tossing a ball by hand or feeding you a ball and you know exactly where it's going. Okay. Uh, and so 25% of each of those. Sorry. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding it. I mean, like I, I, it's not a, a perfect science, but I'd say that most <laughs> recreational players, like it's fun to go out and play points, right. And you just go out yeah. and you rally up real fast and then you play points. But mm-hmm. it's very hard to build if you're not actually breaking things down. And so yeah. the smallest building block is when someone is hand tossing you a ball, 
you know, three feet away from you and you were literally set in a position and working on a shot. So like, mm-hmm. that's like the smallest building block, like the closer you are, the slower the ball is, the, the more, you know, exactly where it is and the less movement that you have, that's like the easiest to start building skills. And then mm-hmm. that transitions into, you know, the person tossing the ball a little farther away from you, you might start like, then you add a split step and then you transition into that shot. You might then add um, some movement into it. Then, you know, that person who's feeding you goes further and further away to the point where they're feeding with the racket and they're across the net. But these building blocks are really important because if you um, jump steps and you're doing skills that you can't actually perform at that time, there's actually no point of doing that. So, because you're not building anything, you're just doing something that's too difficult for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say in the beginning, I mean, if you're, uh, if you have a three month training period and you're trying to build things, I would say, you know, maybe even drill for a week and then go back into match play or, you know, for a pro player, if you're like trying to change a technique, you know, you would be Mm -hmm. probably drilling for a month before you Mm -hmm. go into match play or maybe three months, um, So the longer you have to build those skills without putting yourself into that live point situation, because again, it's just step-by-step trying Mm. to build, um, like there's a, like a new habit. No, there's, so uh, yes. Um, in exercise science, there's like in sports psychology, it's like, uh, I think it's like conscious and, um, there's like a spectrum, but basically you're trying to, when you're trying to build skills, you're conscious about it. You're conscious that you're trying to build that and you're constantly thinking about it. So I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You want to get to the point where you're unconscious and unaware. Right. 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 um, But it takes time. And that, that uh, development takes I think statistically like three to six months for the average person. Okay. So you know, it depends on how difficult the skills you're trying to accomplish. But it, I mean, if we're talking about just court positioning, I mean, that's fairly easy. I think something that recreational players do quite a lot is that they usually uh, protect the, the alley, which mm-hmm. um, again, if we're talking about our goal is to try to cross your goal is to be as close to the middle as possible. I mean, it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people are taught with the string. Um, mm-hmm. If the ball goes left, you go left. But that to me is a, a singles drill where you're following the ball to the left, but in doubles. So your your partner would be doing that, but you are not like you at the net person are trying to intercept. So you have a different goal. Um, right. So you're doing the opposite of that. And I find that a lot of um, recreational players over protect the line like if they took a step if they stopped and they took a step and stretched out their racket uh towards the alley the racket would either cross the line or be very close to the doubles line which yeah. now you're basically protecting an almost impossible shot from your opponent yeah most of the shots are going to go through the middle or cross court and so, leaving like 80 percent of the court for your partner <laughs> yeah so i would I would say like, if you've got, if you're at the net in doubles and you've got this, you're in the singles service box, right? Um, I would suggest practicing, like if you bisect it um, vertically, 
I mean, also horizontally, but vertically, like you don't go past that middle line, that middle line of the singles box that's mm-hmm. closer to the alley. Um, because if you took a step over, even myself who was small and don't have a lot of reach, if I take a step over, I will at least get to the singles line. So I'm basically saying, okay, I'm going to give you the doubles line, but this also puts me in a better position where if I take one step to the right, I'm now, my racket is in the middle of the court. So yeah. um, I don't think that was very helpful, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, position. but um, yeah, I, I, I think, but it's it's really taking the time to build those skills um mm-hmm. getting the guidance from a coach uh or a teammate like you know mate you might take some lessons and then building a plan of saying okay you know for the first x amount of weeks um i'm go- we're going to practice together because obviously most players at the mm-hmm. recreational level don't have practice partners and coaches and hitting partners so working together with teammates or practice partners that can work with you and um usually people have different skills that they're trying to develop so you can help each other develop those skills yeah well what's um what's an example of one of the drills you would recommend so you you were talking about uh dead ball and live ball drills um what what do those drills look like is the coach feeding from the baseline and you're just practicing kind of crossing and hitting your volleys or um, um yeah. something I mean, else one a basic one is just the coach feel like so you're at the net the your practice partner the coach is across from you at the baseline and they're feeding mm-hmm. um through the middle or cross mm-hmm. court you just okay. you know you split step forward and you cross and you just literally get used to from a behavioral standpoint crossing you know move your yeah. body go that direction um so I would say in terms of timing, usually like when your opponent, not when they take their racket back because they can still see you from the side of their, from the corner of their eyes, but as mm-hmm. their racket drops forward, that's the ideal time to move. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a a very, I'd say traditional um, explanation of it because as someone's now dropping their racket, there's no way that they can see you. They have to be fully watching the ball, fully focused on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an easy way to describe timing Um, as you get better. And, you know, if the ball, let's say your opponent is playing really well and the ball or the ball's coming really fast, like you might have to take a risk that as they even just take the racket back, or you think they're not going to go down the line. Like they hate going down the line or they haven't proved that to me. So I'm just, I'm going to totally expose that and take a risk here. So there's, um, different things that you have to weigh, but yeah, traditionally that's the timing. So for example, if your coach is feeding you or your partner's feeding you as you know, they, they toss the ball up and then as the racket goes forward, that's when you're moving across. Okay. Got it. So, so then as people start to develop these skills with the drills, then it's time to implement it into the match play, which comes a little bit later. And that that's where you were talking about the kind of unconscious, um, I don't know. I'll look up the terminology and put it in the show notes. Yeah, but, I don't know if I had it correct, but um, yeah, it, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Though it's from like a a book or a, a psychological study or something like that. I don't I don't remember. Um, but anyways, yeah, eventually it becomes just natural unconscious habit um, that you can implement into a match. Um, 
So you you also mentioned scouting earlier. What is the best way to scout an opponent, or how did you scout an opponent? An opponent, um, let's say, like you were already into the semifinals, and there was a quarterfinal match in the afternoon that you got to watch. Um, how would you go about scouting the opponent? Um, so ideally, you watch them um, in their most recent match. So yeah, if I was playing in a semifinal match, and if I had a chance to watch them in their quarters, like, you know, I finished early, then it would be good to go just watch a couple of games. Um, Mm -hmm. If you don't have that option, um, you know, trying to find footage Mm -hmm. uh, of them playing and the most recent ones and also on the same surface. Um, And then if you don't have that option, like, you know, when I was in juniors or at the recreational level, you know, there's, there may not be footage out there on YouTube or something. Um, talking to people about, you know, if they've played against them, what are their strengths and weaknesses? I would say, um, things that I find interesting are, okay, which is their stronger side? Um, a lot of times players have a stronger side when they're aggressive, but it's weaker on defense. So usually I find like forehands are stronger players have strong they're aggressive but weaker on defense so it's things that matter in doubles right like if you your partner hits a strong return to their forehand and they're on defense you might be interested to poach but if they have a lot of time they're setting up you're like okay you know i might wait a little bit um Mm -hmm. which side is weaker also can they hit all directions like can't you know do they prefer to only hit cross court can they hit down the line Um, what are the things that they do under pressure? What kind of, um, serves do they hit? You know, especially the second serve, is it a flat serve? I'm sorry, is it a slice serve or a kick serve? What generally players play conservatively on the second serve. So they'll probably hit to the same spot each time on the first Mm -hmm. serve. It's a variable at the net, you know, are they aggressive at the net? Do they like to move? Do they like to stay under pressure? Or do they know what they're doing at the net? You know, do they are they in the right position? Do they have mm-hmm. they played enough doubles to um to do the right things at the right moments? Um, you know, are are there we like to go a little further, you know, is their forehand volley or their backhand volley worse? And so if they have a one-hand backhand volley, I found um usually that there's a strength issue for girls. Um mm-hmm. so let's say if if i had a choice if i didn't know better and they had a one hand back and volley i might pound that first because yeah. like you're trying to get as much information as possible that when you go in there you have a game plan you're going to still mm-hmm. adapt it if it's yeah. not working if it's working great but you don't you don't want to go in there without a plan so right. you know based on like i'm playing you will i've decided that okay um you know you've got a good forehand so when i'm serving i'm going to start serving your backhand you know like uh I don't think you're going to poach as much. I mean, actually, because I love to go down the line, didn't really matter to me, but, you know, I may not feel as much pressure to go down the line versus someone that does poach a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I usually like to decide between the two opponents, if they were both back, who was I going to play to? If they were both at the net, who was I going to play to, to start with? Mm -hmm. Um, Who had better overhead, you know? Um, So I, I think I just gave too much information, like, because it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, strengths and weaknesses of their game. Like if you, mm-hmm. if we're, we're playing to somebody, which side would you play to? 
Are they able to play both down the line and cross court? Because that's really important at the net. You know, if you're being aggressive, there's a lot of players that in singles, if they see the court open, they play great and they can hit anywhere. But under pressure, mm-hmm. they can't do that. And because doubles is a different type of pressure, they may not like to go down the line. Um, yeah. How is their serve? What spots do they prefer on their serve? And then as a team, who's better at the net and then who's better at the baseline. So if you want to pick apart someone, you start picking apart that person. So I yeah. guess those are the main, main I think, Yeah, those are all really good ones. Um, I, I think my favorites are the last ones so as a team, like which one's weaker at the net versus the baseline. So that way, especially if you and your partner can get on the same page with it, it, when they're both at the net, you know which person your partner is going at and you can adjust your position accordingly. Um, and then another one uh, that I like a lot is can they go both directions with like each stroke? So at the club level, I don't, I don't think this is true at the pro level as much, but at the club level, I find right-handed players in the ad court can hit their backhand cross court, no problem. But if you poach early uh, on a slightly defensive or neutral backhand, they have trouble sometimes redirecting that down the line. So you can force a lot of errors or intercept the ball a lot um, in that case. Because on the backhand side, a lot of them have two hands. And Mm -hmm. when you, it's much more difficult um, because you, it's, you're more stuck with the two hands. It's more, it's more solid and it's stronger, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is harder to redirect because you are now trapped with two hands versus yeah. let's say with forehand, you, you know, you've got more space with your elbow being open. You're not stuck with this other hand. Um, and then you might be able to even like let the ball come later because you have one hand, you're freer. So there's right. a little variability there. Um, yeah. I did yeah, also want to, yeah, scouting. It's very important to know what people do under pressure so mm-hmm. if you have a chance, like, I wasn't so interested in what's going to happen in the first four games of the match, but I'm curious, okay, it's three, four break point. It's set point. Where are they going to hit now? Because that'll mm-hmm. tell you a lot of people play the same way under pressure. Yeah. Um, and so it's much more interesting to me to know, um, yeah, what are you going to do under pressure? And most likely they will be again conservative but um if you see yeah. someone under pressure going down the line taking risks you're like okay um that's something i need to be aware of not that in the beginning i you know i still feel comfortable that i need to play the way that i want to play and, and take risks myself but okay they have the ability to do that um is something mm-hmm. interesting versus someone that you know they might play great in the first three games but as the match goes on they start to become more and more conservative and then mm-hmm may give you the confidence to say, okay, I need to be, I can be, and I need to be more active under pressure because they're very likely to be conservative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so next I want to ask a question about your own doubles game. So rank yourself for the four positions on the court. So server, returner, servers, partner, returners, partner. What do you think you are strongest at only? yeah for your own game mm. well serving was the worst <laughs> okay so we'll yeah, start at the I bottom <laughs> yeah um okay um 
I think that uh, I was when I was on, I had really great returns. Okay. Um, I would say that that was maybe on par with um, when my my partner was serving. Like mm-hmm. I had really great returns, but returns don't set up. I mean, returns don't always set up your partner. Um, yeah. There's only so, so much you can do with that. With yeah. Return, so like right? when my partner yeah. was serving, I was in a much more collaborative position. Right. Sure. So I used them and we were definitely working together. Whereas if I was just rich and so I would say, you know, as a player, I thought the returns were one of the best parts of my game. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a teammate, not necessarily, um, like they were still mm-hmm. great, but, um, it wasn't necessarily that they would be involved after I returned. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say those, what was the fourth one? Returners, returners partner. That's oh, kind of I a, see. Uh, yeah, yeah, returners that, partner. That was a yeah. That would probably be my number three, and then serving. Sorry, returning, and then when my partner was serving. Yeah, was probably like the top two. Um, they're just different, so I can't really say which was better. As a player, I had a better return, but mm-hmm. as a teammate, again, just given the fact that you're not getting your play, your partner as involved. Um, and mm-hmm. plus I love to go down the line. And so I wasn't always getting my partner involved do- while doing that at the same time, I would let them know. So I actually picked my return before I hit it. Okay. Um, and so okay. I knew I was going down the line. So I tell my partner I'm going down the line. That means that they're ready to move into the middle after I return. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not necessarily a position. Like if I don't hit it well, then that person is going to hit it down at their feet. So it's not a strong position for them but they do know what i'm doing um yeah you you returned um i watched some footage i think before our last call you returned from the deuce court or did you mix it up through your career uh i mostly played the deuce side actually because my partners at the time did not i played whatever side my partners didn't want so i was pretty open to that like i um i felt I felt confident enough in my game that I wanted my partner to feel confident. So mm-hmm. that's why I ended up playing more do side, but actually I learned that I liked the do side better because um, when I got pulled out wide on, let's say a serve or a shot, but mostly on the serve on my forehand, I could slap it down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, like what you were saying earlier about the backhand, you know, struggling to get it down the line. There's just, um, as you're really stretched on the ad side, it's it's hard to generate a lot of speed with your left hand being outstretched that far. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I enjoyed doing that. So um, when you were returning, let's say on the do side, why did you decide to go down the line so often? And And talk a little bit about what's that like, or what that's like telling your partner before the point. So would you like talk to them or signal? Um, because okay. I've had some people. Oh, is that your dog? Uh, cat. <laughs> cat. <laughs> um, so I've I've talked to some people who say like, oh, I wait till like I see the type of serve, and then I decide to go down the line, and I tell my partner like, oh, I'm gonna like I'm gonna look for it, but I may not go down the line. Whereas it sounds like you decided before they even toss the ball up. Yeah. Um. So I 
was it's not common to do that. Um, I don't know why. <clears throat> like I could, I did it, and I I liked doing mm-hmm. that. It didn't matter to me where the person like. So I would decide, okay, on the forehand side, I'm doing this, and on the backhand side, I'm doing this. Um, okay, so you break it down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I had an intention, and I didn't realize it was not common until I started playing with more partners and they didn't uh-huh. like that. Um, so it wasn't a problem for me if my partners didn't do that. Um, but I felt like if I knew what I was going to do beforehand, it would be better for my partner to know because the more information. Yeah. The um, yeah. And, and perhaps because I had good returns or I was, you know, I had comp- like solid returns um, I took the ball pretty early. Like I wasn't, you know, really waiting and just seeing what they were doing. So, um, but that was somewhat unique to me. I didn't have many partners that would tell me. Um, mm-hmm. And um, in terms of going down the line, I, uh, by, taught by Ray actually, that to basically um, make your mark right away, um, mm-hmm. for several reasons, because one, uh, it's, you are more confident in the beginning, like you don't have the pressure as the match goes on. And let's say you're playing cross court the whole time. It's very hard to do something different after you've done something, you know, okay. the same this whole time. So um, by so make your mark, you mean go down the line early? Like you're basically, uh, taking charge of, oh. The match you're telling your opponent hey i can do this i can mm. i i will go straight at you like i will not be traditional i will not be conservative or defensive mm-hmm. like, i will be the one that's going to take charge of this match and that's a little scary for your opponent because then that puts them in a state of unpredictability for you like they don't know where you're going to go um and the mm-hmm. reason why in the beginning is great is because yeah one you get in their head right away and two it's it's so much easier to do it right away. Like whether you miss it or not, um, coming out and just hitting down the line is easier than, you know, four games in, five games in. You haven't hit down the line yet. And now you're like, should I do it? Should I do it now? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, so there's a lot more doubt that creeps in than doing it right away. Um, but yeah, for me, I liked it because, and it got to the point where all my opponents knew, like, if mine is going to go down the line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the first return on any return that she gets she's going line and even if they hit it um i mean yeah this was a, a ray thing he said look even if they know you're going down the line and even if they and you whether or not you miss it um or if they know and they put the ball away like you are still getting into their head unconsciously mm-hmm. like they will yeah. remember that feeling that uh oh you know i don't i don't have just the freedom to keep poaching because she did go down the line in the beginning. So there's a, a seed of doubt that's planted mm. right away. Um, yeah. yeah. And it got to the point also that I just like, there's other things that I enjoyed about it. One, um, I could be really aggressive. I, you know, I could <laughs> hit like right at them and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very difficult for someone to, respond to ball if i hit it hard enough or low enough which you know i'm I'm flattening up my returns were flat so i would okay i caveat this like um i would not suggest going down the line if you're going to stay far back and play a topspin shot you know like if that's the case then you'd have to hit around them but i hit a shot that was flat 
and straight at them like a body shot and took um, it early. Yeah. yeah. And so if someone is volleying, you know, it's much easier for them to poach because they're moving forward. The ball is kind of where they anticipate it to be and they're hitting it down versus the ball coming at them. And now they have to move backwards to get away, get out of the way of the ball. And it's very mm-hmm. difficult for them to be aggressive with that shot. And even if they are, they kind of have to just push it back deep down the line right. again. There's not a lot of angle for them to work with. So right. um yeah, I just like that was that was one of my favorite shots. Um so you typically aimed at the person. You weren't you weren't going for a winner. You were going like at the net player. I uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Like it's a big uh, target. It's better than go. Like if I had time, and that's why I said if you are staying back and you have time, you'd hit around them. Then you're trying to mm-hmm. hit. But because I was taking it early, um, and also the benefit is that it gives you a bigger margin for error. Like yeah, I felt comfortable to just hit straight at them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, that makes sense. Off, yeah, if you're a little off. Um, you hit it a little bit towards the middle, but ideally it'd still be low and hard and still a difficult shot for them. And if you're a little off the other way, then you hit right. it past them. Yeah. I feel like um, taking away their angles is a big thing. So like, even if they do make the volley, if they hit a really good volley, I guess like if it's a backhand volley, they could get it between you and your partner for a winner. But for the most part, I'd imagine they just like play a defensive volley back at you. And then you end up with a short forehand on the next shot. Um, if they even make it at all. Um, so yeah, taking the ball early on that seems like a, a really good um, return tactic for sure. Uh, I wanted to talk about serving. So um, you served and stayed back, uh, right? You didn't serve in volley too often. Earlier in my career, like Ray cultivated an all court game. And so I was serving balling quite a bit, actually. Okay. Um, all one match that I played in her Togan Bosch and I played against uh, Jeannie Bouchard and I serve and volleyed at least 50% of the time, which oh, was wow. okay. hard, which was hard and it was three sets and I won, but uh, no, I was, I was proud of myself because that was a lot of serve volleying. And also I have to be very accurate with my serve when I serve and volley because I'm little. Um, but as I got older, so later in my career, like the last five years of my career, I I rarely served and volleyed. Yeah. Okay. I did might be on the ad side, um, you know, either on a second serve or if I didn't feel comfortable rallying from the baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the side that I felt a little less comfortable with. I liked being on the forehand side. Um, mm-hmm. then I might volley once a while. Okay. Is there um so how did you handle a team that would it was like really aggressive at the net? Um, so let's say you're serving and staying back um, and they like to return in volley. Like I'm thinking of like like Gabby Dabrowski or Demi Schur, some of those players who like to return in volley, even Siniakova does it some. Um, how do you handle that strategically? Um, so... I felt I had, I would say, good enough returns that I could get it at their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, let's say they're serving balling. If they're returning balling, it's a little 
more difficult. Well, it was a little more difficult for me because I had a weaker serve. So that it was actually a better position for them. Um, mm. and I'd be put pressure. Um, so there's a couple of ways to combat that. So if I didn't feel like I could, let's say, let's say they were returning and coming to the net and I was getting, and they were getting too close and I was putting, I was being put under too much pressure. So, um, playing cross court was not a safe shot because let's say the return. So the returner's partner is probably going to be very aggressive because my service week and they're going to be really close to the net. And so going through the middle or going cross was not safe because mm-hmm. they were close to the net. So sure. if I couldn't line, then I would try to lob. And if your lob was good enough, like it pushes them back, you know, if you get it, you know, within five feet from the baseline, um, it should be enough to push them back, mm-hmm. but it's not almost like bashing the ball at you, you know, on the baseline and you're, you're trying to defend with two people coming at face, um, having my partner stay back. Oh no, that's sorry. When I'm serving. So, um, actually, I mean, servant volleying is an option. So your combat, you're like, you're moving before they move. Mm-hmm. So you know, they're likely to try to hit deep. If they're coming in, they're going to try to hit deep. So then I might serve in volley. I formation, actually, what we did the most was formations, but that means we okay. have to get. Uh, yeah. So for, really important for serves and, and spots were really important in doubles. Um, yeah. so if I could do an I formation, then they wouldn't be as aggressive because they don't know where we're going, right? So they wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily, they probably wouldn't return and come in if they don't know where my partner's going. So if I was able to do I formation um, and I preferred I over Australian because um, Australian was harder to poach. So usually it was easier to just stay on that side, but it's hard to really run across. And the better you go, the better you get, the girls could really hit their spots. Well, sure. um, mixing up different uh like speeds and heights of the serve helped too to kind of like throw off their timing of the return. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few things that you could try. I guess the most important thing is that you're trying different things. So for me, it was you mm. know probably trying variations, um, I formation to start with, and if things didn't work, then you'd keep trying. Or my or I tell my partner, girl, you got a kamikaze, you have to poach, yeah. and we're like you got to sacrifice yourself for me because I'm getting, I'm being put under too much pressure. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that you might consider. Um, You may not be able to execute them, but you know, in the match, you just got to keep trying, got to keep trying different things. Don't get beat by the same. Right. Exactly. Um, For the serve and volley in that scenario, are you taking that first volley cross court since you're moving forward and taking it early, or is that still not a safe shot? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I would say, you know, depending on how aggressive that net person is, mm-hmm. uh, is also a good play, especially if you've got a ball that's, you know, kind of at, you know, your waist to chest level, like a pretty mm-hmm. solid, your opponent was hitting deep. Um, so I'd say, yeah, it, uh, that is dependent on the net person and where they're okay. at. Like if them, you can play line and it's, Again, like when you're when you're playing at someone, they're defense. They're in now a defensive position. They're in a reactive position versus a proactive, aggressive position. So, sure. uh, yeah, 
it it just depends. Um, okay, so I know you got to run. Last couple of questions for you. Um, what was your favorite play to run? So this this could be serving, returning, and what I mean by that, I'll just give you an example of one of my favorite um, plays. I don't know if you call it a play to run because you're not actually calling it before the point, but I love when uh, my opponent's serving and volleying and my partner puts a return down at their feet and I'm able to poach as the returner's partner and and just hit it like right through the middle of them. Um, Is there a particular play or type of point that that you loved to uh to win on the doubles court um i liked winning them all (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean my it was very i loved doing eye formation so i like picking right you know knowing what my my opponent was doing Mm -hmm. uh I loved like when the opponent went down the line at me and I liked going. So I, I typically would not go through the middle cause that's where people think you're going to go. And I would go, I try to hit kind of down the line into the alley. And mm-hmm. then usually the opponent would then go cross court. So lo- most of the time, like a, po- a player won't go down the line two times in a row. Right. Um, so I really liked your, it's basically like, outsmarting your opponent like knowing where they're gonna go so they went down the line you guessed right you went back down the line and then you poached after and they went cross court and, and then you end the <laughs> point because really like your opponent's head goes down it's like it's demoralizing yeah. like same thing if someone did that to me i'm like dang it they read me yeah. like two or three times in a row yeah. <laughs> that, that's rough so it was nice to um to be so in tune with the match that i knew exactly what they were doing yeah yeah, that's a really good answer. I, I love that feeling too when you time that poach perfect and read them. Um, what is your favorite? I don't know. I think I, we asked this last time. Uh, what's your favorite tennis book? I don't, don't think I've ever read a full tennis book. Sorry, really? So that one. Was, yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite? What's your favorite non-tennis book? Oh gosh. That's tough. Um, I uh, or you can just name a recent one that you've enjoyed. Whatever. Oh, I mean, two of my okay. favorite authors. One is Neil Gaiman, so he yeah. does urban fantasy, and then Octavia Butler. Um, she also, I I enjoy fantasy, kind of sci-fi. Okay. Novels. Cool. Um, what was your favorite tournament, or what is your favorite tournament? I um Indian Wells Australian Open like any of the tournaments in Australia I loved mm-hmm. yeah yeah um last time we covered how to make doubles more popular uh so I think that's all I have for you today Vanya thank okay. you again for for coming on that was a, a really fun um strategy episode I think people are going to take away a lot from this so thank you Good. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too technical. No, it was perfect. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. 
I have eBooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.